Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How would you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset, and that's when you can reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. Look, it's summertime. Transfer window is coming up. It's gonna get crazy. So if you ever just wanna, again, take a step back and relax, read the transfer rounds, read the gossip rumors, grab a Coors Light. It'll be perfect companion for all those transfer merry-go-rounds. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. The mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when the beer is cold. That way you always know when it's time to chill. When you need to hit reset, just open a Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Now that it's finally hot in Minnesota, I'm gonna be looking for an easy beer to drink, and Coors Light is perfect for that. It's lagered, it's cold filtered, and it's cold packaged. It's, again, made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies perfect for a moment to unwind and so when you want to hit reset reach for the beer that's made to chill get coors light in the new look delivered straight to your door with drizzly or instacart coors brewing company golden colorado and as always celebrate all right so you're listening to this podcast right now london is blue and guess what we host our podcast on anchor.fm that's right if you're looking to host your own podcast this is the easiest free way to get started. This has got a content creation tool allows you to record and the podcast right from a phone. That's right, don't even need a computer, but you can do it there too. They'll also help you distribute it, which is probably the most challenging part. You don't want to have to mess with that. They got you covered. You can get it right on a Spotify and Apple Podcasts as well as any other place podcasts are found. And you know what? You can monetize it too. Make a little cash for sharing your great content with the world. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one individual place. So you know what? Head over to your app store, download the Anchor app, or head to anchor.fm to get started if you're ready to launch your podcast and make it happen. All right, welcome back to London's Blue Podcast and the third in our series around anti-Semitism and racism. In our first two episodes, we focused on the history of anti-Semitism and racism at Chelsea and racial intolerance. We had a second segment where we went in and looked at a trip to Auschwitz-Birkenau by Dan Levine, along with members of Chelsea, the, the club and the staff, and supporters, and the, the impact of a trip like that and, and why it came about. And then in this episode, uh, with the, the same cast and crew from the uh, other episodes, so two Dans, an Amadi, a Mike, and a Nick, are going to spend some time talking about what, what the future holds and what's the path forward. And how do we as supporters, both uh, domestically and internationally, aid in supporting the, uh, the education of those who need uh, the right information to understand the impact of what they're doing or the historical uh, impacts, and then also the eradication of racial, religious, and other forms of intolerance. Uh, and, and again, to preference, this is not a Chelsea problem, it is not a football problem, but that is the spear that you know we as fans of the blues you know are, are looking just to think about and discuss ways that we can affect further positive uh, change nick exactly i mean i think you know it, it is not to say that the events of the past or present are are not on our minds they clearly are and we're we're doing a three part podcast to kind of accent each point but i think what we what we want to do the conversation we want to start with this segment is 
you know, we kind of now know what's happened in the past, what's currently happening, uh, either on social media or at the ground, uh, it's kind of surrounding Chelsea football club. And then, you know, what are we really going to do about it? Right. And, you know, I think every time that we, we have a podcast, the end of the show, we, we make a, a call to action. Uh, and so our call to action now is, you know, looking at, you know, the events of, of today and trying to, you know, have a really good conversation about what we can do, not only in this small group of, of five uh, to affect change, but, you know, maybe some ideas that are out there in, in the world to, um, you know, change, uh, you know, perception at games or, or, you know, on social media or anything like that as well. So, uh, you know, this is a, a section that, you know, we hope you are tuning in carefully for and that, you know, if, if you have suggestions, you know, at the end, uh, you know, whenever you're done listening to this, that you, you know, send those our way on Twitter, on Instagram or, or an email. And, you know, I think that's a really great way to keep the conversation uh, moving forward. So, you know, I think with that, Nick, um, you know, maybe we kind of look to, you know, Dan, you know, obviously you've had a chance to experience firsthand the club's attempts to combat you know, anti-Semitism. And, you know, what, what's your understanding for, you know, kind of the, the regularity of the trips, the uh, education type of events? What, what is that structure going to look like going forward? And what's the outlay from the club specifically? Because they own obviously a part of this, you know, just as much as all of us do. But what's their kind of view and thought right now? Uh, Chelsea have identified this as a, a problem, as an issue, as something that they want to tackle. And they plan, from what I understand, to have these trips with the Holocaust Educational Trust over to Auschwitz-Birkenau once a year. Uh, they've also had uh, a, a speaking engagement by a Holocaust survivor at Stamford Bridge, where a small number of people heard from her speaking incredibly powerfully about her experiences. Another survivor went down to Cobham, and spoke to the team, uh, who I understand uh, from a source was saying that uh, you know it's very very difficult to get the attention and keep the attention of, of footballers, uh, you know, young multimillionaires who've got all sorts of things going on in the world. But it was notable that they were all entirely wrapped during this. They 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 learned from it and uh, they were entirely immersed in what was being said. So the power, I think, of the anecdote and of you know the, the personal experience is so, so important. It's one that Chelsea are using here. We'll talk about it a bit more as the, the programme goes on, but I think this is just one example of how football can be a really positive uh, route for change. Uh, it's got a lot of people who are interested in it as, as a, a sport and a lot of people who follow very, very closely. And it's great to see Chelsea doing something that is so positive in this area. Yeah, I actually think back really quickly to you know some of the events that have happened you know in the stadium, and uh, you know certainly if we've seen you know Alvaro Morata come out you know after some of the the chants um, in September, and Gary Cahill has come out as as the club captain, and uh, Cesar Espelicueta as well. I, I, these these are you know whether whether the players kind of realize it or not. I mean they are. Uh, they they hold powerful voices, whether they're natural leaders like a like a Cahill or a JT, or you know maybe a more quiet kind of subdued character in the in the locker room. But I think in in any time that you know this type of abuse comes up, the players actually have a huge opportunity 
to not only you know change the narrative about what's being sung or um, you know what's been what's been said, but also to you know maybe provide um, you know context or uh, provide a, a potential solution so that you know the the vast majority of fans understand um, that you know the the behavior that was exhibited in in the ground or on social media is just not it's not acceptable. And you know, if you think about a, a Mishi Batuai, for example, uh, a guy who has you know, millions of followers on social media and a, a platform in which he kind of owns uh, as, a, as a fun outlet for him. You know, when the racist abuse happened to him, uh, Amity, in uh, kind of the early part of last year, you know, he was one of the first guys to come out and say, you know, say something about it and, and, and make it well known. And I think the, the love and support he got from that, you know, would probably buoy him to do something else, you know, sh- should the event arise again. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, sh- I should hope so, and I think that he's one of one of many players, I guess, who's caught on to the idea that social media is the best way of really being yourself. Um, he's that clearly doesn't have someone writing his tweets for him. Like he's interacting with fans as often as possible, responding to them, quoting their tweets. I mean, he's he's definitely beloved, whether he's whether you're a Chelsea fan or not, um, and he's definitely won himself some Borussia Dortmund fans for sure. But. Um, Mishi is the kind of guy, I think, who is willing to speak up. I mean, you guys can probably recall in the recent past, there have been players who've walked off the pitch. Um, Kevin prince Boateng famously punted a ball at the fans. Uh, it was actually quite accurate. Um, I think Eto has done similarly. I mean, even Zaha last year said, said that yeah. he, you know, he was just getting the, getting the same sort of abuse. And then he tweeted, he wrote back to these people. He said, if you'd like to, you know, if you, if, Man United and Liverpool fans feel better by calling me a, a black monkey in my messages. Feel free to carry on if it makes your day better. And he posted that to his Instagram. Um, and while, you know, it's, it's great that players speak out. I think it's important. They need to say, to highlight these sorts of things. Um, and to really kind of isolate the minority of fans that we're pointing out that, you know, have, do exist and I guess feel emboldened when they see other people doing it. Um, but there's just the sheer number of these sorts of uh, abusive remarks. And I won't lie, I'm out there, if I'm... For example, when, I, when the Borussia Dortmund had their, I think it was Europa League match, and Mishi was cl- quite clearly being t- uh, treated with these monkey noises from the fans, I tweeted at him asking, or basically saying, what, was that monkey noises I heard? And he said yes. But I mean, like, the fact is, if I can hear them, then so many other people hear it too. And the inaction by those who you know, can, can take action, who, who can, you know, Get sanctions, bans, etc. You know, UEFA has been really lack lackadaisical, for lack of a better word, and it's kind of only kind of flies in the face of what, what we're trying to do here by you know with all of these segments by by having the conversation by pointing things out. It it kind of pushes things under the table and sweeps them under the rug. And I don't know. I mean, as much as I as I support Mishi and other players having a voice on social media and putting things out there. There needs to be some sort of action taken by other a higher up, you know, someone else who can take, who can really single these people out and make sure that these this type of behavior is stopped. Yeah, and and to tie into that too, I mean, we're also looking at the the retirement of Ozil from 
you know, international play with Germany due to issues. You know, you had uh, the issues when uh, Jimmy Dermas from Sweden uh, committed the foul that let uh, Cruz score that game winner in the Eden uh, in the Sweden England game, and people were instantly he was no longer a Swedish player and he was an immigrant, and there were death threats to his family over something in which the team proceeded to you know um, they they got out of the group. So to me, I think. I'm not the most, you know, the expert to speak. I think sometimes that as much as we need higher um, consequences from bigger levels, I'm wondering if, you know, Dan or Amadi, if you're thinking, does it need to start at that grassroots level in which it's the indifference is the issue? We're saying, oh, no, this is a stadium of 40,000 people. There's only a few bad thousand people. But does that come upon us to take that courage to realize that, it's not a comfortable conversation. It's not great to say next, you know, to have to confront somebody next to you throwing up, you know, uh, Nazi salutes or or using this different languages or or even having this podcast. Right? We know that this is going to bring on a certain amount of heat, but but is that is that our job? Do we need to take the courage to step up to make sure that when that happens around us, is that you know, we, we, we are vocal and we don't allow a, a, a small group of people to, you know, to, you know, proceed with, with messages of hate. Well, the only thing required for evil to prevail is for good people to do nothing. So yes, I suppose we do. Um, I mean, there's, there's, there's a wider thing here. There's, there's education around it. And football is a potentially a, a great catalyst for change. Take the example maybe of, of someone like Demba Barr, um, who uh, is a Muslim. And uh, when he scored his first goal for Chelsea, I think a lot of people maybe would never have seen a man praying to Mecca, least of all on a football pitch. But, you know, kids would have gone home from that match understanding that difference. The good thing about football is that it's full of differences now. Players, fans, you know, I've been lucky enough to meet Chelsea fans, for example, from all over the world. And there are Chelsea fans from all over the world who now have um, heroes in the Chelsea team because they've come from those players all over the world to be here. And I think people are not born with these prejudices. They learn them. They adopt them for whatever reason, as Paul Canaville was saying in the first part of this programme. And if we don't try and knock those back through education or through direct action, then they can be allowed to prevail. So, so it's important that we do stand in their way. You know, I think that's a, it's a good moment for us to share the, the second part of the interview that Dan conducted with Paul Canneville and, uh, you know, again, uh, first black player to play uh, on the pitch for Chelsea. And to hear him talk about the work that he's been doing to combat this uh, in, in you know, kind of his career beyond football. So we're going to play that now. The, the thing that is abundantly clear in, in, in black and blue is that you can't put canners down. Um, you know, whatever, and, and, and this, the, 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 the racist aspect is, is one small part of your story, and your story is quite incredible. Um, but in later life, what you're doing now is, is a testament to that. You now run a, a foundation that looks at educating particularly young people in your experience um, and also about sort of sharing, sharing why this is, is, is something that must be combated in society. Um, what do you tell kids when you, you do those visits to schools about you know, what, 
why racism is, is, is such an evil and why it must be overcome. As I said, um, we shared that earlier in our conversation, nobody's born with racism. Um, you're taught. And why you're taught hatred, to me, it's taking too much energy from an individual. Why would you hate for just the colour of the skin? Um, for me, it's the learning stage for going back into school. Don't get me wrong. Uh, I'm talking of resilience. And don't get me wrong, we all get knockdowns. It's how we pick ourselves up from it. Um, my main aspect with the young youths and young kids as well, like primary kids, the main importance is about their education. I know because I lacked it. I didn't take my education serious um, and realised after having a, an injury that I had to retire from a football game that I had no job to look forward to. So that's how important the education I thought that I needed to express that to these kids. As regards to racism, bullying and so forth, it's something of a trend that's not needed in society. I understand and attempt to know that um, the harm it does um, and what it does to them. So, and I get through to them, and this is the great thing about these youngsters, they're, they're not silly. Um, they are on point. I say, that's my word to say, they, they know exactly what's going around in the world today. Um, yes, they're shared, probably told by their parents as such, but they are aware. And it's good to know that because it helps me and makes it easier for me to explain regards of racism and what it, how it affects people. Um, they're quite shocked by my story when I share it with them. They can't, no way. Your own teammate? No, when I say Tommy, your own fans, should I say? They're shocked, yeah. Couldn't believe that. I'd be so angry. But that's quite another result. If you're angry, what happens to you? Um, that's the kind of thing you couldn't show your anger because you would have got in trouble. And that's what I was frightened about. I could have easily lost my head. But then I'd be the to troublemaker for causing that. So um, that's what I share with them. Um, the foundation has been great belief, um, great team behind us. And I mentioned Gary Stanner and Gary Trousdale that, um, that are on the board. That helps me really. And I so enjoy going around the world. It's like going around the country and going around to other different countries in the world and sharing my story. Um, and sharing what we do. Um, I think, which I did discuss, the situation is a charity foundation, and obviously every charity foundation needs funding. Um, and we've got so many projects that we love to get help, give out and help. It's pretty hard to do, you know what I mean? So if anybody's interested who's out there, um, it's www.allcannibalfoundation.com. Please get in touch, um, let us know. It's, you know what I mean? We'd love you to get involved with the foundation. There's, there's, a, there's a supporters club, should I say, founders platinum club. And you know what I mean? Something there that could, might, yeah, entice you. And yeah, you might like to get involved. Definitely. Callas, you've spoke brilliantly. It's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, thanks ever so much. And uh, good health to you, mate. Thank you very much again. It was great to hear that from Paul, and Paul was on, on really good form when I spoke to him uh, the other week. Uh, he does some really valuable work these days. Uh, he goes around schools, as you heard, uh, providing education to people about uh, you know just why racism is is a horrible ill in society. Um, and 
away from the recording, he spoke to me about how clued up, clued up kids were these days, how engaged they were, how a lot of adults don't really understand how awake they are, woke, of course, you know, to, to, to modern issues. Um, and that I took away as a positive as well. You know, a lot of kids these days do back up what Paul says, that, that, that you are colourblind unless you learn a different way. Uh, and he's doing great work. And, uh, you know, if you want to contribute to that, then you've heard the ways you can do it. Yeah, I, you know, we talked a lot about the idea of like the, you know, the players, you know, having an, an active role in this. And, you know, when you kind of see the uh, say no to, you know, anti, you know, or the anti-Semitism campaign that Chelsea put together, it's, you know, it's a photo of Eden Hazard and, and Golo Kante holding signs and, you know, I think you know two two footballers that you know a lot of players, depending upon the position they want to play, uh, especially after this World Cup, would love to uh, be in their boots in some capacity. So I think the the value that their image and their voices um, end up putting behind these type of campaigns makes uh, a lot of sense. I think Mike, you you made a comment about the idea that you know what what do fans do or what's the grassroots level. And, and I think, you know, part of it, you know, is, is not just saying that it's a, it's a match going, it's a match day type of experience. It's not uh, what happens when it's a group of uh, a supporters group that gets together. You know, I think, and I think maybe Amadi can speak to this too. I think it's also about saying when you see this type of intolerance happening on, on social media to be okay, kind of comfortable and, and putting yourself in the position and in the firing line to say, you know what, like, this isn't okay, this isn't acceptable. Uh, and, you know, to not not give that person maybe a platform, you know, I've kind of found it's easier to take a screenshot of the maybe the tweet in kind of question and to, to call out kind of the attitude in addition to, you know, blocking and reporting. Um, but, you know, I, I guess I wonder what other things do you kind of see as ways, you know, socially and online that we can kind of try to work to combat this? Well, honestly, I feel like it's representation matters. Um, people need to feel like that even if someone looked or sounded or believed or prayed or felt like they did, that they would have a, you know, a voice amongst Chelsea fans. You know? And that's at the end of the day what, we're, what you guys are doing, what I'm doing. I, I mean, I love to connect with Chelsea fans online. I spend a lot of my time doing it. You know, it's, it's, it's a community of its own. Um, at the same time, there are people among our community and in our community who want to call themselves Chelsea fans but have their own sorts of, you know, intolerant views. However, you guys reach a lot of people. Dan, you you probably the most of all of us. And when they hear your voice, when they see what you're reading, you know, when they feel the conviction in your words, spoken or written, there's, there's something tangible there for a lot of people who may not be, as you said before, man, a white, a white guy from the, uh, the West. So, like, there, you guys are touching a lot of lives and it's not just, you know, based on your love for the game, but people want to feel like they belong. And doing these sorts of uh, segments, these sorts of podcasts, having an having an eye for this, calling out intolerance when you're at a game, when you're online, these things matter to other people. People will read them. Maybe they won't retweet it. Maybe they won't respond themselves. Maybe they don't have that courage yet. But seeing someone else do it, that helps them build it. That helps someone really feel like, hey, I do have a voice here. I can I can speak out. So I, you know, it's it's important work and. Um, I think that it can, you know, it really, as corny as it's going to sound, it changes lives for some people who might not, might not even tell you. You know, someone might just need to read your words, hear your voice, making it okay for them to do whatever they got to do to, to, you know, to, to push this forward. And um, that's powerful. 
And and I think uh, you know that was kind of one of my follow ups from from part one. Amity was we we looked at you know Peter Collins kind of you know helping to lead the charge back in the eighties, and certainly what Dan is doing uh, with the article he wrote on on our website. Why we started you know why we hosted this podcast conversation uh, is you know I, I think it's it's one thing to say you're going to do something. It's a, it's another to, you know, it's another thing completely to do it. So, you know, hopefully, you know, you, you, you've seen us talk about, you know, some really heavy subjects over the last couple of hours over, over three episodes. And, you know, it's, it's not easy for us. You know, I think that as, as we prepared for this episode, just to let everyone kind of know and see a peek behind the curtain, and not only did we have a series of, you know, conversations and a big phone call to kind of talk about the script, but we went back and forth on the script with, with everyone a few different times. And uh, that was all to make sure that the conversation was, you know, it, it was directed uh, appropriately and that we were able to articulate our, our vision and our, and our points the best that we could, knowing that it's, it's an emotional this is an emotional experience for everyone, um, but we but we're doing it right. And even if it's not perfect this first time, we we hope that it provides a uh, a platform moving forward, uh, Dan Levine, so that you know you can keep doing your work, and that you know we can hopefully keep having more and easier conversations, you know, affecting positive change. Yeah, I mean, the the one thing that this shouldn't sound like is preaching. This. Um the intention here is that everyone here is starts from a moral position where the uh the, the sort of racist stuff we're talking about is is just beyond comprehension really uh and you know the majority is that in in opposition to that um and i think it's just really about as you say giving people the uh the 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 confidence uh and the surety that they are in a position where they can stand up to it um we are as a game uh we've never been more cosmopolitan as a fan base the same is the case and for for my money uh on both counts we're we're much better for it um let's make the most of that and let's share it so I think there's a, an opportunity now, you know, as we wind down this first series of, you know, shows we have kind of taking a look at, you know, larger uh, social issues uh, and issues of intolerance that are circling around the club to continue to unify ourselves as a voice in, in opposition for that type of behavior and to work on making sure that the representation that exists of Chelsea fans uh, is always and uh, builds towards being uh, the the most inclusive club that we you know, most inclusive supporter base that we can possibly be. And I think we would ask uh, first and foremost to to share this episode, um, to share this episode with someone who maybe not is even not a Chelsea supporter, but who struggles with this idea of what the impact of their words or their thoughts or their feelings are on people who are different than them. I think there, there's a value in that. And I think secondly is to not let the conversation go away because there's a hot transfer rumor 
or the days have gone by and you forgot that this episode or series of episodes has occurred, you know, I think it's incumbent upon uh, all of us as the, uh, the creators of the show to help be active and vocal within our community of, of Chelsea supporters and of Chelsea content creators to continue to drive this narrative. But I think we would ask for your help and your partnership in trying to continue to create a environment where people feel supported and comfortable and the last thing they have to worry about at a game is making sure they have enough time to get there and grab a, a pint and a pie beforehand and make sure that they they bet on the right player to score a goal and not you know will they be subject to or witness a, a level of of intolerance so uh, we thank you know both Amity and Dan for their time in helping us put together this series of shows and we thank you for listening And we look forward to continuing the conversation with you beyond these podcasts. So uh, until the next time we talk to you, keep the blue flag flying high.